Hey, Shig. I like that there's a random stool in the front of the stage. That's kind of fun. Um, my name is Eric. I am a leader with the Shig group. I lead one of these small groups for senior guys. There we go. Represent. I love you guys. Um, I've had these guys for about almost three years, and it's really exciting that they're in their senior year, and I'm just excited for whatever God has in store for them. If we have not met, I'm Eric, and every time that I get up to share with you guys, I share a fun fact about me, and it's always the same fun fact. I am a Libertyville High School grad. That's right, Wildcats. Where are we at? Right here, back there. That's right. Class of 2011, represent cast, baby. Um, And I thought it would be a great opportunity to share a story actually from my high school experience when I was young and in your shoes and walking down the same hallways that you guys did. So when I was in high school, I had this really good friend, Pat, Patrick Thompson. We were like best friends in high school. We did so much together. Uh, Our parents allowed us to travel. We went to New York City, just the two of us and our buddy Billy, so three of us. We spent a week in New York City, no parents, doing whatever we wanted, having fun. It's crazy. I can't believe that my parents let us do that because we just had way too much fun. Um, We also played music together. Both of us play guitar and he sings. And we actually had a few gigs in downtown Libertyville. I'm going to date myself right now, but one of our location venues that we played at was at Cousins Subs, which I don't think anyone knows what this is, but, oh, someone does, just knows what it is. It's where Chili U is right now, but Chili U is gone. Cousins Sub was was there. We had to play music there. And this is actually where Pat worked. And if you have friends that work at a restaurant or some kind of uh, food drink place, you know that there are perks that come with knowing people. So I would visit Pat at Cousin Subs quite frequently, um, and you know, you get some free food. So there's one Friday after school that I go to Cousin Subs, and Pat asks me right away, what sub do you want? And I realize I have not tried the meatball sub at Cousin Subs yet. Cousin's Subs, yeah. Uh, Yeah, so I say, I want the meatball sub, and he said, you do not want the meatball sub. Curious. He explains to me that there are rumors from customers that are coming back and explain that the meatball sub is giving them food poisoning. All right, Pat. Uh, I I don't believe you, and I pushed back on him a little bit. It was like, if the meatball subs are giving people food poisoning, the health inspector will, like, get rid of the meatballs. If your owner, if your boss is a good boss, he'll get rid of the meatballs. So I still want the meatball sub. And Pat and I go back and forth, dialoguing. I want the meatball sub. You can't have it. I want it. Pat, make me the dang meatball sub. Finally, Pat grabs the wheat bread, puts on some meatballs, makes a sandwich for me, and gives it to me. Take some bites, a few more, consume the entire sandwich. I don't taste any poison. There's nothing wrong with this sandwich. It wasn't the best sandwich I've ever had, but it was a decent sandwich. And Pat and I continue to hang out for about two hours until we have to close up the entire restaurant. Some friends join us. Nothing's wrong. We end up going over to Pat's house after work and hanging out in his living room. And as we're sitting in a circle, I'm on the couch, my mouth just gets hot. And I start to get the mouth sweats. 
And if you guys have ever had the mouth sweats, you know what's going to happen next. Within seconds, I leaped out of the couch, booked it to the kitchen bathroom, and I was hovering over the toilet, just vomiting. I was just spewing so much. This is kind of gross, but I am just letting loose. It was disgusting. I have food poisoning. This meatball sub made me sick. And Mrs. Thompson comes in, and she's like, Eric, you don't look so good. You should probably go home. And in my head, I'm like, Mrs. Thompson, of course, I'm throwing up in your toilet. I'm making a mess of your bathroom. Like, of course, I don't look good. Somehow, I mustered up the strength, get in my car, drive home, and the entire night, I spend it in my bathroom. I made a bed in front of my toilet, and I'm cradling the toilet, and I'm just, I'm spewing out throw up. It was one of the worst nights ever of my life. And I woke up the next day, I got a little sleep, I woke up the next day thinking about what just happened the day prior, and I was so angry at Cousin Subs, this restaurant, for giving me a sandwich that made me sick. Are you kidding me? That was so stupid of them. I was so mad at my friend Pat that we were going back and forth, and I was like, Pat, you should have pushed back harder on me. I told him, he's like, you're the reason I got food poisoning. And I think we're all like this to some degree, that there are exterior circumstances, things happening in our lives that we think bring out something in us that are not pretty. Whether that be we are training for our basketball season and we're getting ready to play, it's our senior year, and then out of nowhere, a global pandemic comes and your senior season is canceled. And you're frustrated. You're angry and you go to your parents and you just vent to them how frustrated you are. You go to your coach and you explain how disappointed, how sad you are. And there's real feelings Whether or a different circumstance, you're in your friend group and there's two people that you're really nice to in front of their face, but once they leave, let's say that they're dating, once they leave, you talk ill of them. You're like, wow, these people are so toxic. They should not be together. They're going to break up. They should break up sooner. And you just are really talking negative about them. There are things happening outside of us that actually bring to light stuff actually happening inside of us. Which brings me to a question that I have for us tonight. And I'm going to be asking this question overarching this entire talk tonight. And the question is, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? This is not a question respectable in the self-esteem or self-love group of people. Um, It makes us awkward. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to examine ourselves and figuring out what is wrong, but it is a necessary question, Um, especially think about when you're sick and you need to go to the doctor and the doctor figures out what's wrong with you and he's like, all right, I I know what's wrong. And you're just like, whoa, doctor, don't tell me what's wrong. I don't want to know. That's not loving of you. It's actually very loving of the doctor to tell you this is what's, why you're sick. This is what's wrong and we can fix it. So we are going to be asking this question as we move into the Mark 7 tonight. We are looking at the Gospel of Mark all these months, um, which is a theatrical perspective of the life of Jesus. And last week, Siler spoke on Mark 6, which has various stories of Jesus sending out disciples two by two, healing people, sharing the good news. Uh, John the Baptist died, Jesus feeds 5,000, and we are moving along in the story of Mark 7. And if you have been following along, reading on your own during the week, 
Um, is anyone doing that? I know Jess is, but Jess did not do it this week. Oh, Jess, I'm so sorry. I wasn't going to give you a shout out, but I did, and I've turned it around on you. Um, if you have been doing it, you may have opened up your Bible, gone to Mark 7, and began reading it. And as you're reading it, you get this overwhelming feeling that it's boring, that it's very uninteresting to you. Why? Because it is a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and they're talking about ancient Jewish traditions. <laughs> they're talking about purity laws. And to the modern reader, we might think that we are so far progressed ancient ways of the Jews that we don't need to read this. As high schoolers, we may look at purity laws and be like, I automatically am checking out of this passage. However, I want to challenge us tonight, as we look into this scripture, I think it's going to answer quite a few things. One of them is it gives light to the main reason and the purpose of the biblical message. And it gives us reason why we need Jesus. Wherever you're at, whether you already believe in Jesus, whether you have questions and doubts, or if you're on the fence and just straight up don't believe in Jesus, I hope and my prayer is that this passage actually encourages us and challenges us. So let's open up to Mark 7 right now. We are going to read the first two verses, and we're going to unpack it. Uh, It says in verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So here, Jesus is stopped on his journey going city to city, healing people, sharing the good news of the gospel, and he's stopped by the Pharisees. And it's actually a confrontation of them calling out what his disciples are doing. And if you remember weeks ago, before winter break, I spoke on Mark 3, and I explained two groups of people. And one of them were the Pharisees. And if we remember, the Pharisees were people that did not like Jesus, they didn't like what he was doing, they were anti-Jesus, and they wanted to end this man's career. So here they are hostile to the disciples for having uh, eaten with dirty hands, not washing their hands. And I wanted to make a quick, quick COVID caption. Remember beginning of lockdown when we were trying to figure out what this virus is, we all carried around with us hand sanitizer. And wherever we went, it was always with us. We go to Tyler Coffee, it's with us. We go to the grocery store, do you hear that? We're, we're spraying, we're cleaning our hands, we're learning good hygiene. This, this is probably the best thing of COVID-19. We're all learning good hygiene. And it's something that I wish carries on, but if we think about what we're learning this past year with good hygiene, and we're thinking about the Pharisees now, Pharisees, what's the big deal with you worrying about the disciples not washing their hands? Are you germaphobes? Are you, are you scared of what they might have? What's, what are you freaking out about? So Mark actually gives explanation. He explains the significance to their, uh, their, to their hostility in the following verses. So we're going to continue on in verse 3. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and there are many other, there are many 
other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, which just a side note, I love that they have dining couches. We all know what a dining couch is. It's when we make Jack's Pizza, we do just flop on the couch, we put on ESPN, or if you're Christian Smith, you're watching The Bachelor, Victoria is queen. Um, oh... Oh, it's, uh, I got some people sour. Even, even ancient Jews had couches that they ate on. They just became really relatable. I love that. And so they had to clean all of those. And then in verse 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So why are the Pharisees so angry and upset at the, the disciples? They are holding the disciples accountable to this term that they have coined, the tradition of the elders. I'm going to simplify that and call it house rules. House rules. House rules of man. Um, We all know what house rules are. If we get a new game of Uno, we undo the packaging, we open it up, and there are instructions inside. We all know how to play Uno. The instructions, we don't really need them. But depending where you play and who you play with, There are added rules, whether it's double down or spicy uno. People have added to the the original instructions. And that is what the ancient Jews have done. They've taken the law that God has provided and added to it. They've taken the Bible and added their own, trying to give clarity and instruction. However, they've done something completely different. And what chapter 7 is focusing on is purity laws. And purity laws are just simply uh, God gave instruction that priests were the ones that washed their hands for sacred religious um, purposes so that the people of God could come and know and worship God. Not all Jews that they're saying, but only the priests. And when the years Go transcend and we get to Jesus' life, we, there are so many additional rules added by the Pharisees, some saying that all of the Jews have to now wash their hands, all the Jews have to wash their pots and pans and their furniture. Why? Because the Pharisees are so worried about how you look. They're so worried that you might be dirty, that you might have touched something dirty, that you might have eaten something dirty, and that makes you sinful. And that makes you, you very difficult to approach and be in relationship and worship God. These house rules have become so difficult to us for us to follow and worship God. The entire approach to knowing God at this time has become legalistic, which means that the Jews have become focused on a religion based off of house rules rather than concerned with God's rules. And God has given us his Bible so that we may know him intimately. And again, it just clarified, they added way more rules that were harder to follow than what God has given us because he wants relationship with us. And Jesus isn't against every tradition. There are some good traditions. One that we practice is that we gather on Sunday nights basically every single week, to sing songs to God, to to open up the Bible, to grow together. And this is a tradition, a practice that I think God is happy with, that God accepts. But what Jesus is upset with here is the way that the Pharisees are handling their house rules. They're making their house rules equivalent to God's scripture. 
They're saying it's at the same page, which they're not. And they were guarding them equivalent to them. They were enforcing them and judging people based off of man's rules rather than God's rules. And Jesus has very strong language for the Pharisees. So we're going to continue on in verse 6. He said to them, the Pharisees, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men, the house rules of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. This is actually the only place in the gospel of Mark that God or Jesus calls someone a hypocrite, a phony, a fake. And none of us like that word. None of us wants to be called a hypocrite. We, we go against what we stand for. I mean, think about someone that you look up to. Say you look up to an environmentalist who is vegan and all about saving animals and stuff, and then there is a photo released of them eating a big, juicy burger. What a hypocrite, right? You, you once looked up to them, and now they're going against their word. How can you trust this person? That is exactly what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. They are supposed to be spiritual people helping people grow spiritual, spiritually in a relationship with God. But instead, they have no true spirituality at all. They are hypocrites. They are fakes. Uh, the word hypocrite comes from a theatrical term that actually means to put on a mask. So here are the Pharisees putting on a mask of being these amazing spiritual people, the, the uh, overachievers in school, trying to muster up and get the approval of man rather than the true acceptance of relationship of Jesus. This is them masking themselves so that they can be applauded. And in verse 8, it says that you have left the commandments of God for the house rules of man. This is what they've traded for. They've traded listening to God's word to establish their own rules. So let's ask that question, what is wrong with me? If I'm a Pharisee and if I'm putting on a mask, what's wrong with me? I have put myself in a position that I don't trust God's word. I've put myself in a, a place where I don't listen to it, where I don't allow it to guide me and for me to trust it and follow it. And that brings me to my first point, which I want to challenge us, is to listen to God's words and don't allow your house rules dictate God's rules. I understand that being in high school, being young, we want to follow our own path. We want to learn things on our own. We want to experience our own experiences. But God gave us his word so that we can know him intimately, that he would give us direction in this life, that we would not be wandering blind and hopeless, that we'd actually have so much hope. And it, the scriptures point us to what we need, and it's a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's what our hope is found in. The, the, the world offers so many ideas of living, so many ideas of what is right and wrong, what group to fit into, whether that's what you eat. Do you become a vegetarian or do you eat red meat? What, what do you, how do you work out? Do you do CrossFit or do you run marathons? What political party are you a part of? Are you a Democrat or a Republican? 
We have all these groups, and we want the Bible to come in and match our perspectives. But what we need to be doing is listening and reading the Word of God and allowing it to frame our thoughts, to frame our ideas and get everything from there. And, you know, I I actually have a really hard time with this. This is one thing in my journey of being a Christian since high school that it's been taking a long time for me. I am a very proud person. I am a person that likes to keep things to myself. I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to talk things through with people. I want to think through it on my own. And as I've been reading the Bible now for years, it's been hard, but I got to the Proverbs. And there's a, there's a verse that really challenged me. It's Proverbs 15, 22 that says, Plans fail with a lack of counsel, but a man with advisors or counselors, they succeed. I read that, I stopped, and I felt like God was actually reading me. I, I didn't seek help from people. And this is where things started to change in my life. I started to be open to people. I sought help. I went to people and was more vulnerable. And it, I'm still not perfect at it, but I'm, I'm trying to get better. This is what Scripture does to it. It influences us and it changes us. It's changing the way that I think. So what's wrong with me? I may not be trusting God's Word. But the first point, let's listen to it. Let's listen to God's word and allow it to frame our thoughts. Let's allow it to dictate how we act and what we believe. This is just one half of the problem that Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees. The second part is actually in verse 6. He confronts a whole other topic. It says that they, the Pharisees, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There is something wrong with the Pharisees' hearts. They are distant from Jesus. They are separated. They're not connecting together. They are completely apart. And that is what Jesus is saying is wrong. They have replaced a relationship with him for something else. And later in Mark, we're going to read right now what we replace it with. Where the state of our hearts is. So we're going to jump to verse 14 and read up until 20, let's say. Um, It says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. I love this because Jesus is just going to repeat himself to the disciples and be like, have you, were you listening? <laughs> uh, it says in 18, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Let's just make a quick note on that little phrase, Jesus declared all foods clean. The Pharisees and Jews were so worried about what was happening on the outside. What foods they ate had to be clean foods. And this was a debate in the early church. What foods were appropriate to eat? What foods were not? What, what food would make you sinful and dirty before God? And what, what was right? And Jesus is establishing all foods are clean. Why? 
He's making it simple, and this is point two, because he cares for your heart. He's saying there's no limitation now. I want you. Nothing can separate you. You are not filthy. You are not dirty from the outside. I want you. Jesus explains that you are not too far from God. He wants and is pursuing you, but he's also addressing the state of our hearts in this passage. In 14 through 20, he is addressing what's wrong with me, and it's actually what's on the inside of us, not on the outside. What's wrong with me? My heart is distant from God. And you might feel that in one of two ways. You might feel like you are separated from God and you haven't putting him as a focus in your life. Or you might feel the reverse, that God is actually distant from you. Which I just want to quickly say, God's characteristic is a pursuing God, a desiring you, God, that is wanting to be close and is drawing close to you. So the question is, where is your heart? Are you in pursuit of God or are you in pursuit of something else? And Mark goes on to talk about things that are able to come from the heart in verses 21 through 23. We're going to look at it. It says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I don't enjoy reading that. <laughs> uh, that's, that's hard for me to swallow. But Jesus, in this case, is saying that's the poison of the heart. That is what's happening and coming out from something going on inside of you. So let's, let's recall my meatball sub story. I ate a sub, and it definitely made me throw up a lot. But when I reflect back on that time, I I see something else that was also poisonous inside of me. There was something going on in my heart that was full of pride. It was full of a need to be right. It wouldn't listen to my friend trying to prevent me from doing a stupid thing and trying to not get sick. I was arrogant and I was ignorant. There was more poison in my heart in that situation. And God gracefully revealed that. And it, it is extremely uncomfortable to, to take a mirror. And I'll just be straight up. This past week, I've been reading this passage, and I feel like the mirror is right here. And I, I see what Jesus is saying. The poison of my heart is in here. I, I'm wrestling with this with you guys. I'm I'm noticing things in my life right now that God wants to change. God wants to clean, and it's uncomfortable. God wants to to get rid of all the issues of our heart. So what's wrong with me is that I have sinned, and I will sin. That, That is just something that is coming from this heart. And looking back now, this is, I'm, I'm so grateful for what God is doing and was doing, even in that meatball story. I, I don't, I'm not happy that I spent the entire night throwing up, but I'm grateful 
that God is changing me, was changing me in that moment, that he was with me, and he was naming things that were wrong inside of me. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in 21 through 23. He is naming things that can come out of the heart. He says stuff like envy can come out of the heart. So when we become envious, we get jealous of people, there is a missing piece inside of our heart that we think that person has something that will satisfy me, whether that be a material thing, whether that be a relationship, whether that be they got a new car turning 16, I'm driving a 1992 Ford Focus, like you get jealous and envious. There is something missing that you think will satisfy you, but only Jesus is what satisfies the heart. He calls out pride. Again, I've been saying this all night. Pride is something that I, I still deal with every day. And you might be like me, that you think so high of yourself. You think that you're the smartest. You think you're the best. You think that you have to prove yourself to be all, always right. Or maybe there's another side of pride that is completely different where you think very low of yourself. And it actually separates you from God. And you think God isn't able to come in and do anything with me because I am not even worth. That's also pride. He also says stuff like sexual immorality. He brings that up. And being in high school, they can go in a lot of different directions of what are exterior circumstances from what comes from inside. Lust is the out, or coming from the outside, from the inside out. Lust is what makes us look at porn. Lust is what makes us think that we should be sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend in high school. And, and I'm not trying to bring this up uh, to make you uncomfortable. I have a question just like, why do you feel like the need to watch a screen will fulfill you in any way? Why do you think sleeping with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend will, will bring you some kind of fulfillment? Is there an insecurity in your heart that is not solely found in Jesus that you think your partner can only find or only provide. I'm, I'm talking about a lot of hard things tonight because this is a hard passage, one that I'm, I'm really wrestling through with myself. I'm right here with you guys. And I want to encourage you as we move into small groups, take advantage of this time to, to get real, to share about what is the poison in your heart, what's missing in your heart that you're filling with other stuff, that you're trying to find purpose and identity and fulfillment from when it's only Jesus that can provide. And if you're uncomfortable talking in a group setting, talk to your small group leader and be like, hey, can we meet this week and talk about this? Um, Reach out to Siler, reach out to any of the interns, reach out to me. We're all here to help you guys. We love you guys and we want Jesus to enter in and heal and clean and provide what you need. So let's ask that question again. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? We, we just read a very uncomfortable passage <laughs> that acknowledges stuff going on inside of us that is wrong. And after we read that, it's so easy just to want to quit. It is so easy to be discouraged and say, well, there's no hope. And some of us might be saying right now, well, I am a lost cause and we're praying to God. You might as well just give up. There's no way that I can stop gossiping about this person. There's no way that my pride can be wiped clean. There's no way that I can stop watching porn. That's not true. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you guys with that question again and say something different. What's wrong with you? Nothing. Nothing that God cannot enter into your lives and clean. This is who he is. He enters into our messes and he makes it right. And I want to jump to the Psalms right now because I don't want to just end it on a super heavy note. Like, let's get some life and trust in God and in his word that he will follow through. So we're going to look at Psalm 51, which is a psalm from King David who is not a perfect person. He did sin. He did mess up. And he says this, these two beautiful lines. I'm going, to, I'm going to quote verse 1 and verse 10. It says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love. I love that. He's just trusting God's character that he lo- God loves him and will come after him. And it says again in verse, or it says in uh, verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There is so much hope for you. There is so much hope for me. That our hearts are not too dirty that what is going on the outside does not affect what's happening on the inside, and it can be cleaned. And just like David, he's calling to mind the faithfulness of God, the love of God, and the character of God to step into our messy situations and make it clean. This is what God does. This is what God wants to do. He is pursuing you. He is pursuing me. He's cleaning us all. There's so much hope. So leaving tonight you might have your own meatball story. (laughs) You might have a story that you did something or something happened to you and it brought something out of you. And then reflecting on it, it was like, wow, that, that wasn't the greatest picture of me. That wasn't good. You may have something inside of your life that is boiling you up, revealing sin, revealing something that is insecure and missing in your heart. So tonight might be a good time to actually acknowledge it, Name it and change it. God is the only one that does the work. Your work is to say, God, clean me. God, do what only you can do. You have to allow him to do the work. So again, in your small groups tonight, seek Jesus, listen to his Bible, invite Jesus to purge the poison from our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you. Just the, as the simple illustration of you coming down from heaven to earth is you stepping into our mess. You stepping into our lives, experiencing life with us. And what a gift that is. That you know the pain, you know what it's like to be hungry, uh, to have friends turn away from you, from family to turn away from you. You relate with us. And you give us so much hope. So as we think about this passage and what's wrong with me, there is hope that you will clean us, that you are cleaning us. So Jesus, be with our small groups now. We love you and we trust you. In your son's name we pray, amen.